everybody doing? Everybody a little wet? Yeah, your hair looks great though. <laughs> I like the, it's great, What's, who said that? What's, what got said over here? Tell the truth, shame the devil, who did it? Right there, okay. Get out. <laughs> Ushers? Um, it's great having you here this morning. Um, if uh, I saw a few faces that look new, so if you're new here to Cornerstone, we're really glad you're here. Um, if you don't have a Bible this morning, we'd love for you to have one, and so uh, Greg is going to be bringing them down here, and so if you need one, you can just raise your hand. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, please feel free to keep that. It's, uh, it's our gift to you um, as we kind of open up God's Word. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them up to Genesis 2. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, we've been... I might need one. No, I've got one. I didn't ever bring it, but... Um, we're going to be going through and looking at just what it is, and we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks this idea of, of masculinity and femininity. What does it mean to be a true man, or what does it mean to be a true woman? There's a... Hey, Greg... Over here, she, she had her hand up. I see, I see that hand. Come forward. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about manhood and womanhood and, and just what is it that God's designed us to be. And last week what we talked about, though, was we discussed this idea that before we get to what does it mean to be a man or what does it mean to be a woman, we just have to ask the question, what does it mean to be human? And one of the things that I, I hope you got out of last week is the absolute thrill and privilege it is that all of us in here are created in the image of God. I hope this week you just stopped and thought about this and just had your mind blown that when it comes to things like morals and intellect and all these things that make humans humans, is that it came because we are people that are created in the image of God. That when I look at other people, I, th- I hope that's what you see. I mean, it was so interesting. I'm watching people get angry about people protesting, you know, whenever it was. Was it yesterday? And it's like, why are you angry? Jesus is still on his throne. They're created in the image of God. We, just, we need to share Jesus with people, whether they were at the inauguration or not. I mean, it's just like, gosh, everybody's so angry. To look at another human being and to realize whether they agree with me or disagree with me, the beauty is, is they're created in the image of God. That gives them immense value. And so with it, then, there's implications, right? That means that's why the church of Jesus Christ, for us as Christians throughout the years, we found those that oftentimes get overlooked or marginalized or, or maybe the weak within a culture because we believe that whether or not somebody has certain characteristics or doesn't have certain characteristics, they were born human, they have value to God. But what we're going to do this week is we're going to outline, we're going to kind of put together this idea, though, that within this, there are differences, there's differences, and one of them that we're going to talk about is men and women, but let me, let me talk about another difference that's there, and we're, we're going to kind of lay it out, kind of talking about these two words that people always get nervous when we talk about them, and I don't think you have to. One is authority, and one is submission. Now, on Friday, whether you know it or not, surprise, we have a new president, From an authority standpoint, regardless of who he is, regardless if it's a man or a woman, regardless of their background, their socioeconomic uh, reality, uh, their party that they're a part of, the Bible calls us to be in submission to authorities. 
That means that Donald Trump now, on that day that he took that oath and, and made the promise that he made, we suddenly shifted from one man, Barack Obama, who was the President of the United States, and we shifted to another man in which we're going to be submissive to him, and we're going to now pray for him. In fact, that's one of the things in First Timothy it tells us to do, is to pray for them. Now, why would we need to pray, pray for Donald Trump? One is cultural, and one is him. Culturally, we're in a weird spot, aren't we? On another end of it, though, I'll tell you what, when people always ask, why are you so concerned about Donald Trump? He's better than Hillary. And I'm like, oh, just because somebody's better than Hillary, that makes him great? There's a passage in the Bible that says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And Donald Trump is a prideful man. Now, I'll submit to him, and he's my president, but he needs prayer because I'll tell you what, is that as long as he stays prideful, he will feel the opposition of God. What do I mean by prideful? I remember him saying a statement one time where he says, nobody reads the Bible as much as me. <laughs> the things that he said about women, his exploits with them. See, this is why we need to pray. Now, we'll submit to him wholeheartedly, and even if we disagree or disagree with him or agree with him on things, we need to pray. So here's what I'd like to do this morning in light of us having a new president. It's what we did when we had Barack Obama's new president. Could everybody stand up with me? And I'm just going to pray now that God would do a work in and through him, just like 1 Timothy tells us to, to pray for them. So let me, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for Friday. Thank you for the reminder of the thrill it is to be involved in a nation in which there is a transfer of power that is peaceful. Thank you so much for allowing us to see and, and to have put on display so many different people that stood up there and prayed and acknowledged that apart from you, we can do nothing. And Father, right now with the new Congress in place, with new governors and state senators, but also, Father, a new president, would you help us as the church to enjoy what it means to submit. Father, would we do it so that there would be peaceful lives? But more importantly, Father, even what's talked about in 1 Timothy 2, would you do it because you want to see people come to know Jesus? Father, would you do a work in and through the life of Donald Trump? Would you draw him to yourself? It's what I prayed for Barack Obama, Father. Now I pray for Donald Trump. Would you rescue him from his sin and depravity? Father, would you, would you truly do a work in his life? Father, not just so his life is better, but Father, so that he might be one who is a redeemed one, who can lead with integrity and goodness because the Spirit of God is in him. But Father, would you please help us right now do a work in our nation, Father, not just to make things easier, but because we want the gospel to go forward. In your precious name we pray, amen. All right, now have a seat. How was that for submission? Huh, okay. And oh, and by the way, did anybody have their boat rocked Friday? Did any, the sun came up Saturday, right? It didn't come up this morning, though. Oh my gosh, maybe we're all good. But now what we're going to talk about more specifically is the idea of differences between men and women. And one of the things that I found this week um, was this, and I found just a few of them, that, that some of them resemble my wife and I and some of them others. But let me just, let me just read a few of them to you on differences. Eating out. When three men eat out and the bill arrives, each will throw in $20, even though it's only $32.50. None of them will have anything smaller, and none of them will admit that they actually want the change back. When the women get their bill, 
Out comes their cell phones so that the calculator app can decide to the penny how much they owe. Money. A man will pay $2 for a $1 item that he needs. A woman will pay $1 for a $2 item she doesn't need, but it's on sale. (laughs) A man has six items in his bathroom. Toothpaste, razor, shampoo, soap, and towel. The average woman has an average of 337 items, (laughs) of which a man will only be able to identify at most 15. Arguments. A woman has the last word in any argument. Anything a man says after that is simply the beginning of a new one. (laughs) A woman marries expecting that the man will change, but he doesn't. A man marries expecting a woman won't change, but she does. (laughs) That one wasn't as funny. (laughs) Children. A woman knows all about her children. She knows about the dentist appointments and romances, the best friends and favorite foods, and secret fears and dreams. And a man is vaguely aware of some short people living in his house. (laughs) All right? So there are differences between the two, and that's what we're going to focus on. Now, where we're going to start, though, is just in Genesis 2 in verse 4. What's going to happen starting at verse 4 is we're going to take the day 6 and suddenly it's going to be expanded. We're going to move from this colossal, universal reality of God spinning everything into existence and suddenly we're going to zoom into the garden where God places the man and the woman. It says in there, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the the earth and the heavens, verse 5. It says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, in other words, God hadn't fully developed out the garden yet, there was no small plant of the field that yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on that land, on the the garden, and there was no man to work that particular ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of it. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. What would that look like? Man, I don't care what it is, no matter how often you and I take and create clay figures that look like people, I promise you, we won't be able to breathe into our clay figure's nose and the thing goes, hi. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and he put the guy there whom he had formed. And out of the ground of the Lord he made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight for good food, the tree of life that was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then in verses 10 through 14, it kind of tells where it is in regards to some rivers. And then in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So in other words, what we have here is simply that early on, we don't have the woman around. And I always tell people, I mean, what would the world be without women? Well, we'd still be in the garden, but that's a whole other story. (laughs) All of a sudden, all the women went, Charlie Brown's parents. No, it's just, it's the story of the man. Now, there's some realities to this that are very, very important that get talked about in 1 Corinthians 11. 
In 1 Corinthians 11, the seriousness of the man coming first is a very important issue to where this whole reality of what it is and why it is that the man was, was created first. In 1 Corinthians 11, one of the things that it equates out, and this is out of the Net Bible, but it says, I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. And then it goes on to explain that the reason this is the case is not because men are smarter, God knows that's not the case. It's not because men are better looking. He definitely knows that's not the case. It's not because anything else, but just simply because God created him first and therefore he becomes what's called the head. Now, what does that mean? The head oftentimes carries this idea simply of authority when it's talking about this case in Genesis 2 is this idea of somebody that was there first and we see this in how he was created first. Not only was he created first, But he was given the commands. Remember, we just read those. We're going to learn later that he's the one that comes to him before the woman is there. He names all the animals. And even finally, when God creates the woman, he literally names her. It was this idea that there's somebody that has authority. Now, we're going to get in there, so don't shut me out yet. Oftentimes, when I say this authority thing, people go, okay, I'm not going to listen anymore. Please keep listening, because there's more to the story, as Paul Harvey says. The young ones in here are going, who's Paul? He's dead. (laughs) Now, this idea that's connected in in 1 Corinthians 11 is this idea of authority between first the Father and the Son. In other words, the way he's saying is that the Father, inside of the triune God between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and if you want to know more about this, I taught on this particular passage back in January 15th through February 11th of 2015. But the thing that he's putting out in 11.3 is that there's a unique relationship between the Father and the Son in which the Father is the authority. They were both fully equal, fully God in their personhood, but there's a distinction in that the Son, we're going to talk about this, submits to the Father, fully equal to him. We also have in 11.3 that the man and the woman, referencing back to Genesis 2, that there's an authority in which now the head of, he said, is the woman, is the man. Fully human, we talked about this last week, fully equal, fully, and and it talks about this idea, his partner and what he's doing, but there's a distinction that gets created because Adam was created first, and that's the reason in which now he becomes the authority, and we're going to talk about this idea of submission, but here's the kicker out of 1 Corinthians 11. The goal of it is to show that when a man, here's, we're going to ask this question, when is a man a man? is when a man uses the authority that God's given him, we'll talk more about that, like God the Father would have him use, he images God and he displays to the world what the Father looks like. Any authority that a man has is for the purpose of displaying God the Father. Now also inside of this, oops, let me go backwards real quick, you'll see this with a woman that inside of her submission, she's not just submitting because she's bored and has nothing better to do. Inside of her submission, and we'll talk about this more, she's seeking to show off the son. We also see this in like Ephesians 5 that Terry's gonna talk about next week is this idea that the husband is the head of the wife. Now let's let's throw a definition out there and see if we can kind of wrap our minds around it. Headship is the distinct authority entrusted to the man, and we're talking about Genesis 2, for the work of establishing order for people to flourish and the father to be displayed. Now let's look at that first one, authority. Whenever we use the word authority, sometimes we have to make sure that we understand what does it mean. Because I think sometimes we use authority and we think despot. We think this guy that's somehow the king of the hill. But authority is something that's given to the man 
And it's one of sacrificial leadership that gives of oneself so that others might flourish. Remember that word we used? So in other words, when we ask the question, what is a real man? A real man is not a man who comes home as a despot and sits on the couch and watches football and demands his wife to bring things to him. No, a real man is one that goes home and seeks how he might cause his home to flourish. It's authority given to him not now to rule the roost, but authority given to him so that he might now come into it and cause things to flourish, bring the best out of his wife, to bring the best out of his children, to bring the best out of the church that he's involved in. It's different than the authority we sometimes think about. You'll see this even when we talk about next week in Ephesians 5.25. He's gonna clarify this leadership. Look at it. Hey, husbands, here's what leadership looks like. Here's what this authority, you're gonna love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word with, uh, water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. He goes on and he connects these dots that it's not only that, but he says you're going to nourish her and you're going to cherish her. In other words, the command of leadership is to lead like Jesus did. No matter what situation you come into, you cause people to flourish. You bring the best out of them. Definition goes on and it has this word entrusted. When we talk about authority, nobody possesses the authority. God merely gives it to people. In other words, sometimes we'll think, you know, Donald Trump, he earned it. He got voted in. No, the only reason he's in office is because God the Father allowed him. He brought him in, like I said about Barack Obama, and he can also take him out. Any authority he has is not his own, but it's something that's given. And the man now exercised was not his, but given by God to cause others to flourish. This is the word we're going to use. It's that God the Father doesn't now grant this authority, give it out, for any other reason that he wants to see people use it in such a way that they fulfill their mandate inside of creation, which is to cause things to flourish, whether we're talking about nature or whatever it be, but specifically in this case we're talking human flourishing. It's to be seen as a difficult privilege, Oh my goodness. I don't think we understand the seriousness for those of us that are married, this this understanding of what it means that God the Father has handed over authority to you. Because when he hands authority at the end of it, there's an expectation of giving an answer for how you used it. See, my wife isn't just anybody. When I read the Bible, I have to understand that first and foremost, she's not my wife. She's a daughter of the king. And one day I'm going to have to answer for how I've come alongside of the daughter of the king. All of those kids that God has brought into my house, they're not merely, you know, biological creatures that consume things and then leave your house and go do their next thing. They're entrusted to us as men. And God is saying to us in that that he will expect us now to give an answer for that. Not only that, but when we talk about God ordering creation, he ordered it for human flourishing and expected the same for man and woman who were to rule on his behalf. Everything about it is putting things together in our homes, in our churches, so that people might flourish. We're gonna talk about it on the very last week, but just this is important for all of you to understand in here, and those of you that are elders in here need to understand this just like I do. 
The goal of the elders is not just to simply make decisions about what buildings to build and how much money to spend on other things. The key role of an elder within a church is to cause and to stir the people to flourish. You see this like in Ephesians 4. He gave prophets and apostles. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors, teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of the service, for the building of the body, till we all attain to the unity of the faith, dot, dot, dot. In other words, to cause them to flourish. Any authority that's ever given has the expectation from God that it will be used as the means to come alongside of those that you're given authority over to stir them, to cause them to flourish. If you're a young dude in here, maybe high school, college, or even older that's single, listen to me. The time to prepare for this is not after you get married. The time to prepare for what it means that one day you might be handed a unique authority is right now. And I've always found this. People that are good with authority are first people that know how to submit. If I don't know how to submit as a child to my parents, I probably don't know how to then lead as I grow. Not only that, for those of you in here that are girls that are looking to marry a dude one day, if he can't submit to his parents and he comes up to you and says, you know, I think you're the one, I would just look at him and say, I regretfully tell you that you're not. (laughs) It's really important in this. This idea of flourish is huge. But the other thing we talked about last week, though, is for the man, we realized that it's not good, God said, for him to be alone. So I'm going to make for him, and this word helper now is going to become the word. The first word we're going to use is this idea of head. We get it from uh, back in Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 11. It's the Greek word kephale. And now we're going to use this word helper that's fit for him. It's the Hebrew word ezer. Now the word helper is important for us to, to get, but the, the key thing here is, is that there's a deficiency in the man. There's something that needs to be filled up. Verse 19, now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Now the man gave names to all the livestock. By the way, I would love to have seen this. It would have been something else. It's like, hmm, why cow? Because Adam did speak in English, just so you know that. And to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him he knew that there was something missing there was this tension that was being built as he watched all these different animals come in front of him that he realized there was something not right here there was somebody that was going to help him to fulfill the task that God had given him to now come into and cause things to flourish so the Lord it says caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept He took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now let me just tell you something. I wake up from surgery and there's my wife looking all hot. I'm pretty happy too. What does he do? The man said, and you gotta understand, this is the first poem ever done. In fact, inside of Hebrew, this is meant to be a poem. In other words, he sang a song. He got in and he's like, this is the last, is my bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And that, probably not, but that's something like that. She should be called woman, Isha, because she was taken out of man. 
If the sense of it was, is that now finally I have found somebody that is fit for me. This is the one. She's equal to me. She's my, my counterpart. Goes on and it says this. Also, when, it, when you finish it up, it's just this idea now that, that literally now they were this one flesh. Now let's talk about this word helper. This is going to be important to where we're going the rest of the way. Helper is the distinct submission, and we'll explain that word here in just a second, entrusted to the woman for the work of establishing order for people to flourish and the sun to be displayed. That's important here. Now there's the term helper. Now the term helper can sometimes suggest inferiority. In other words, like I should say the movie, the help. Uh, in other words, like sometimes you'll think, oh, that's just, whenever I hear the word helper, I think of that. It's a, or even like for me, oh, it's cute, your mommy's little helper. But in the Old Testament, God is called Ezer. He's called a helper because he could do for humanity what humanity couldn't do for themselves. That meant now this woman could do for the man what the man couldn't do for himself, which, by the way, has continued to be propagated for the rest of the time. It's this idea that literally she came in in a unique way as the helper to fill the gap. And I'm not talking Tom Cruise. I'm going to say it correctly this week. That comes in and says, you complete me. It's something so much bigger than that is that literally now they were able to fulfill this idea of what God had called them to do. In other words, we're unable to fulfill this imaging of God unless we're able to do that. You see this like in Ephesians 5.22 where submission, by the way, is to Christ through the man. In other words, sure, there's a submission inside of marriage, but more importantly, that submission is to Christ. You can see it here, look at that, as to the Lord. But also when you get to 1 Corinthians 11.3, it's simply that the woman models the submission of the son to the father through her submission to the man. It's something that's to be seen as difficult in the same way that leadership handed out and authority is a difficult thing. I'll tell you what, some of you men in here are easier than others to submit to. He understands the difficulty of it. But it's entrusted to the woman, this is the key, so that Christ's submission might be displayed. In other words, when somebody looks at us as the church and sees us submitting to government over us, or even when, a man, when they look at it and they see, even when it doesn't make sense for a woman to submit to a man, they may not understand it, but every woman that does it is putting Christ on display. It's vastly important in what we're talking about, image bearing of God. The man is to display the father to the world. The, the, the woman is to display now the son to the world. In other words, for the world to get an accurate picture of God, or even for our purpose statement, for us to convey an accurate picture of God to our world, we must fulfill the roles that God gives us, or else people aren't going to see him. What am I saying? So often I hear people say, well, this is just because how it works best. Oh, it's so much bigger than that. It's people seeing God. It's, it's actually, here's the way I would put it, how we live our lives inside of marriage is evangelism. When they look at us, do they see what it's supposed to look like? In other words, if the most flamboyant woman's lib person came into my home and saw how I treated my wife, she might not like what she has to hear, but she goes, that woman right there is flourishing underneath the leadership of that man. On the other side of it, right, if, if uh, what's Bart Simpson's father's name? Why'd you know that? <laughs> if he were to come into the home, even as this egotistical, just moron dude, would he look at how then the woman treats the husband, no matter who he is, and say, I may not agree with that, but my gosh, that is beautiful. It's evangelism. 
But there's a problem that all of us face, and here's the key. Is that that is the way God designed it to be, but we know that there was this thing called the fall. Everything got skewed. Everything that God had intended to be beautiful, to stick out, to to show off who he was, to image to the world, the reality of who he was as God by working in and through human beings, is that we finally got to Genesis 11.4, and here's the thing we realized, that the, the reality of humans is that they were all sitting there in the plain of Shinar, it says, and it says, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower with its top to the heavens, and here's the key, let us make a name for who? Ourselves. Why don't I like authority? Because authority has consequences and I want to make a name for me. Why don't we like submission? Submission, I don't like it because I want to make a name for me. In other words, now there's going to be a conflict. Well, where'd this conflict come from? Well, we know that in Genesis 3, everything starts to fall apart. We know that as it starts to fall apart, the way God intended it to be is that the snake came in and in verse five, the promise was is that when you eat of it, you're gonna be like God. You're gonna be able to know the difference between the knowledge of good and evil. This is a great thing. Take it, Eve, eat of it. And she took and ate of it, handed it to her husband and he, he then also then fell, the Bible talks about. Now what started to happen from that moment on is key in us understanding this reality of, of what it means to come alongside of one another. In 3.9 it says that the Lord God called out to the man. He came and found him and he said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to? And the man said, I did. No. (laughs) The woman you gave me, Lord, because I don't take responsibility for my authority. The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. In other words, God had handed authority off to him. And what is the first thing we learn that guys do? The woman said, now in this, so the woman he said, and he kind of goes through some different things and how it fell, but I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Verse 17 and 18. And Adam said, because you have listened, or to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it should bring forth for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field. In other words, what happened? In a very beautiful way, God had created this world where Adam was going to come in and work. He was going to work in such a way that he was going to cause creation to flourish. But now God says, because of the fall, creation is going to work against you. Eve, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. In fact, childbirth would have been something that wouldn't have been that big of a deal. It would have worked in conjunction with the woman. Now all of a sudden he says to the woman, this blessing that I've given you now to bring in new ones that will bear my image, that will display who I am to the world, now is gonna work against you. In other words, it's going to be now painful for the first time we hear that. And not only is it external, but we also find out some other things. Let me just go back real quick. See this first one in there? It says he shall rule over you. For the first time ever, we learn now that men were gonna take advantage of their size in such a way to use and abuse women. Now let's look at some of the the weaknesses that come out of this. 
The first one we see, and I would say this, in the same way that men have things working against them, we also see in this passage two, I think, key things that come out that we can kind of see as far as men. And and by the way, women, I want you to listen to this because you're going to ask the question at the end of this, how do I cause my husband or my friend to flourish if I know this is his tendency? The first one we see is passivity. It's the woman you gave me, God. It's verse 17. You listen to the woman that I gave you. You see this a lot in men, that men know how to make excuses. It's not my fault. It's his fault. They quickly enter into secret sin. They run away. Even for men, right? They, man, they go towards fantasy so quick. And I'm not just talking pornography. I'm even talking the way men check out. Uh, to, not this week, but the week before, um, I came home. And I don't know if you've ever had this before, but I did not want to deal with my family. I walked into the house and my wife, I could tell she wanted me to take the kids. And here's what I I did. I I lied. I'll confess to you. I said, baby, I got to go to the bathroom. I go in the bathroom. I shut the door and I'm just like, I don't want to go out there. I don't want to deal with what's going on out there. God is saying, but I've handed this for you to cause things to flourish, but I don't want to flourish. I don't want them to flourish. I just want to sit in this bathroom and I just want to stand here because I don't want to deal with it. Men do it in more serious ways. You'll even see at the bottom, a lot of men at times, they will abandon their family and they'll abandon them in different ways. They abandon them through working too hard. I know what I'll do. In order so I don't have to deal with my family, I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna work extra hours because then I won't have to deal with them. I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna find my hobby. I'm gonna get engrossed in that. I'm just gonna engross all these, myself in all these different things because I don't wanna deal with the authority that God's handed to me to go in and cause things to flourish in my family because dang it, I wanna flourish. I wanna make a name for myself. You'll see this in even things like Apathy. But what he's trying to tell us is is that from the fall, there's this reality that men were handed this opportunity to have poor authority, and men now, because of the fall, have a tendency to pull back and say, I don't want it. Now, while I'm standing in that bathroom, all of a sudden I heard one of my children talk smart to my wife. And I don't know if you ever had it where you just get riled up. I'm like, oh, you know, you don't talk to my wife that way. So I came racing out of the restroom. (laughs) I just came out and I just let my family know who this woman is and what she's about. Now, there's a good part about it, but I moved from passivity to this word dominance. I looked at my one child and I got huge. I totally went animal in the moment. That's what men also do. See, that thing that he was talking about in 316, he will rule over you, is not a good thing. The history of man in regards to woman is the history of one group of people, men, taking advantage of women. Rape, you'll see in the Bible. You'll see polygamy. You'll see all these different things that men were handed authority, and instead of using it to cause women to flourish, they use it as an opportunity now to make themselves flourish. Our history is loaded with it until about the 19th century and women's suffrage, which there was a great part of women's suffrage. It got a little weird in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but hey, that happens. <laughs> the key part of it is, though, is that we have to understand, us as men, and for women looking into our lives, is there's a weakness that we have now because of the fall. One is passivity, which we have to acknowledge as men, and the other is dominance. Men can be critical. Oh, can we be critical? Not that women can't, by the way. But men oftentimes are critical in a passive-aggressive way. Whenever I do counseling, you know, they'll 
I don't want to go, oh yeah, we're okay. Even when I do counseling, a lot of times men will say something nice about their, their wife as a backhanded slap to them. There's mocking and sarcasm, slandering, belittling, retaliation, abuse. And I would even say this, one of the ways in which men manifest this idea of dominance more than any other is through sexual sin. If you are a man right now struggling with porn, the reason that you're struggling with porn is you're right now in the midst of sin. You are falling in the path of fallen Adam and you are now looking at pictures because you want to have control over what you look at and what you do with it because you can't get control over whatever the situation's going on in your world. I say those things for us as men to realize God has handed to us inside of our marriage this awesome opportunity to cause things to flourish and this is gonna be our tendency. This is gonna be our battle. And for those of you that are women in here that are married to men, this is key to understand because now the goal is not to do a drive-by as you confront him but to realize how do I come alongside of him in this and to help him to flourish. Well, what about women? Let me be an equal opportunity uh, exposure here. The other word that's crucial in this is found in 316 if you've got your Bibles. In 316, it has this idea now that you will, you will desire your husband is there. There's different ways in which people look at that. One of the ways in which we look at it is this idea of validation. In other words, I crave the attention of a man. Now, you'll see this a lot of times in high school. Um, a girl will really want the attention of a dude, and so she will give him things that she should not give him in order to get validation. But there's other ways now where a wife is sitting there and some of these are very great things that she would love for her husband to see her and to be able to come alongside of her and flourish. But then she will do things to want to somehow validate herself. One of the things you'll see oftentimes is that women, let me just say it this way because I don't know how to say it, they will flaunt their strengths. In other words, they will look good. Now what's so funny about this though is that I feel like when men look at a woman trying to look good, they go, oh my gosh, and they think evil thoughts that are more along the lines of sexual. But my wife said something to me that I thought was so interesting as part of, in regards to validation, and guys do this too, but she said, Todd, actually most times we're not dressed in all hoochie mama to try to get boys. We're looking that way because we want to cause other women to see us. Really? She goes, trust me. Even the passage where it talks about this in 1 Timothy 2, women and guarding what you look like, a lot of the things that are there in regards to how other women see you, and, and in fact, like if a girl was up here dressing like she shouldn't, most women will be the ones that come up and go, oh, just, I tell you what, she's dressing all like she shouldn't. The guys rarely do. Why? Because at that moment, women are also dealing with sin. You'll see this in regards to hide weaknesses. This is one of the key reasons why girls, and, and my sister was one of them, who struggled with anorexia and bulimia. You don't want people to see that you're overweight. In fact, it's so funny. Guys can be super fat and look at a mirror and think that they look like, you know, He-Man. A girl can look at the mirror and she's like looking great and she thinks she looks like a hippopotamus. And so for validation, and a lot of times what women will do is they'll try to hide it. They compare themselves to others. You'll see this inside of insecurity, uh, fantasy, and, and, and jealousy, uh, that, that 50 shades of whatever, gray, that came out. Oftentimes it was a fantasy in which women went off on. There's perfectionism that you see there, but there's not only this side of validation, a desire for somebody now, in, in that case, to, to want me, but there's also this other side of it in which you'll see when you get to Genesis 4 that sin will seek to master, but this idea is, is that the woman will seek to master her husband. In other words, what she'll do to her husband because she has that power is say, you know, you're good and all, but Larry can fix plumbing. What's your problem? 
They'll demean. They'll gossip and slander. Uh, I quit going to the, the teacher lounge when I used to be a, a teacher because I sat around and I used to hear women gossiping and slandering about their husbands. They control by withholding, by being silent, or even control by withholding things sexually. They use flattery to try to get what they want. In other words, now, what he's saying is, is there's different ways in which men and women are now going to approach things to try now to make a name for themselves, and he's letting us know that, and he's going to talk about it all throughout the New Testament so that people understand your job is not to make a name for yourself but for God, and the way that you do that is by now coming in and causing things to flourish. hope I've made my point. But here's the greatest news in the world. In Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From the moment of the first sin, men and women have been combating one another. But now all of a sudden, there would be this one who is gonna become the snake crusher. The one who was going to come and all these ones who were seeking to make a name for themselves, he was going to come into their lives in such a way that they were now going to work in the way that God intended them to make a name for him. They were going to fall into being what men and women were intended to be. In other words, the promise of Jesus is just, it's not simply that I don't have to go to hell. It is that literally now God was coming through the person of Jesus to stir people to flourish. And all those who place their faith in him now are going to be the men and the women that God intended them to be. Now, sometimes, though, we think, well, what about non-ideal situations like the single mom or, or maybe even the mismatched mom, the mom that has an unbelieving husband walking with kids or the dad? What about the person that, that, that is, is someone that's been through divorce? What about the person that struggles with maybe lesbianism or bisexuality or is gay or maybe even is transsexual? Whatever it is, what about that person? What all of those? Well, I would say this is that we can't forget, though, that those that feel like maybe this can't work for me, Paul prayed different times, but he always got back from God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you're someone here today that says, man, I don't have that particular one to come alongside of me and to help me, I'm saying you have God himself who's promised that in the moments that you're weak, he's strong. I think also when you look at that, and that's the point of it, no matter what hits us, whether it's insults or hardships or persecutions, he's able to create in us that thing. Let me just recap what I've said. All of you in here that are men, God has created you, and inside of your homes and inside of the church, I'm not talking the workplace or anything like that, different men have been given authority, but not for ourselves, but to cause other people to flourish. Those of you that are men in here that are husbands, if you're like me, when you go through something like this, you realize that you are either deficient in it or have been deficient. And I'm here to tell you that today is the day to come to Jesus Christ and acknowledge your deficiencies. Acknowledge it to him. Be honest with God. I kind of told you a story about how I was maybe not honest with God on some different things, but this is the perfect place to do it. Inside of church, this is the one place where we can acknowledge that we fail because according to 1 John 1, all of us in here are failures. We can come to Jesus Christ and we can acknowledge our failures and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the beauty of what that is. But also inside of this, and I would say this, The church is also to be a place where it will allow you now to not just confess your sin, but to now repent from your sin and become the man that God designed you to be. 
The church can become that place. We're going to talk about more about how it can do that. Women in here, maybe you struggled and maybe you haven't been able to fulfill what God's called you to do. Maybe you have a past or you have a present where you're just struggling to fulfill that role. I would say this to you. The work of Jesus is sufficient. The church is powerful to guide you through this. But we're not just doing this. This is important that just because we want to make our lives easier or somehow we want to make our marriages so that they're free from problems, they won't be. Here's the bigger thing. I want to do this because I want people to see God. I want our community to see God. I want this again to be a place in which people can come in and they can see how the church works together and they may not understand it, but they get it because they look at these people loving each other in this drastic way. They see men that could take advantage of the authority that God's given them and instead what they do is they get down on their hands and knees like Jesus did and they wash feet. They look at the women who could, if they wanted to, step out of that submission and use it in any kind of way that they wanted, against men in any way, but instead what they do is they submit themselves just like the sun, and they come into this world, and they show people what it's intended for God to be like. In other words, that's why this is so important. I stood up on the hill a few days ago, and I looked out over our city. It says there's 120,000 people. If statistics are correct, 100,000 of them don't know Jesus. 100,000 people. And then I turned and I looked the other way. Millions and millions of people. I want your marriage to flourish, not because I want it to be easier, but because there's a world that desperately needs to know Jesus. And if you're too busy fighting in your marriage right now, that doesn't leave you any time to be able to display God to a world that is desperate for it. So if you could stand with me, we're gonna bring, we're gonna bring the band back up. We're gonna sing a song together to go out of here. But if you need prayer today, maybe you're a husband that has struggled with things or a wife or maybe even just a woman struggling with a lot of different things in your life or a man, we would love to pray for you. Today's the day, but let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thanks for your grace in our lives. Thank you so much, Father, that even though there's men and women in here that acknowledge that we fail, that we oftentimes don't know what to do, that your grace is sufficient for us, that truly, Father, that in weakness, your power is made perfect. Father, would you do a work, a cornerstone, in spite of the reality of the fall, where you would raise up men and women to become those that out of the role that you've asked them to play, they cause others to flourish. Will this become a church where no matter who comes in, they realize that, man, these people work hard so that I might flourish, so that you, Father, might be put on display. God, would you do that miracle in and through us in your precious name, amen.